Happy holidays, everyone. This week, I'm airing two episodes from 2022, both fantastic, thoughtful guests with great stories, and both guests making a return to Acquiring Minds with update interviews in the new year. So you can hear each of these original interviews now, then in a few weeks, hear an update on each guest's venture. The first, which aired on Tuesday, is with Doug Johns. Doug acquired a large, almost $2 million SDE, Mr. Rooter franchise territory in Portland, Oregon. The second, today's episode, is with Sam Turner, who is building a hold co of mechanical and electrical firms in the UK. Note that I kept the intros for both interviews, as I wanted to re-air each episode in its entirety. And we'll be back to regular, brand new episodes this coming Tuesday, January 2nd of 2024. Okay, please enjoy this interview with Sam Turner and have a lovely close to 2023. Sam Turner is building a Holdco. It's sort of a roll-up in that he's targeting just HVAC businesses and he does intend to exit and realize multiple arbitrage. But he's not looking to integrate the businesses or centralize operations necessarily. So call it what you will, I call it pretty cool. <laughs> and what's especially cool about Sam's venture is how clear his goals are. He has his number. That is, there is a timeline in specific dollar amount or pound amount in Sam's case, he's British, that he's targeting for himself. And from this clear goal, he's backed into what his hold co's revenue, margins, EBITDA, and even exit multiple need to be to reach his number. He shares it all with us. Hint, his number starts with two. But this isn't all about cold hard cash for Sam. As you'll hear, he's got a variety of motivations. He left a successful corporate career in his 40s to embark on this journey to buy small businesses. And it was not without a lot of reflection, that decision. He took months to understand himself and develop his why, his purpose. So we actually spend the first part of the interview on this decision. And only then do we get into the nitty gritty of his search, including all about his first acquisition. He's now about to complete his third. Getting a loan without the benefit of the SBA how the businesses he buys are run and by whom, why HVAC, buying big versus buying small, and much, much more. Please enjoy this interview with Sam Turner, buyer of HVAC businesses. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Listeners of Acquiring Minds know that for almost any business you acquire, its success comes down to the people and how you develop and manage them as their new leader. Thing is, in addition to management, there is also a lot of process and bureaucratic work when it comes to your new employees. Payroll, compliance, HR technology, hiring, to name but a few. These processes are crucial to get right, but at the same time distract from where you want to be putting your energy, in leadership. So, Aspen HR is an HR firm and PEO that takes this work off your plate and handles it with the care it demands. Aspen is owned and run by Mark Sinatra, himself a successful former searcher. 
So Aspen's own leadership understands the HR challenges that searchers have post-acquisition. The firm is offering Acquiring Minds listeners a complimentary pre-acquisition HR and PEO review for your target business. Check out AspenHR.com or contact Mark directly at Mark at AspenHR.com. Sam Turner, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thank you for having me. Good to, uh, good to be here. Been a, been a fan of the show. Awesome. I love that. Sam, you left a successful corporate career to go out and buy small businesses. Now, that is a familiar pattern among my guests, so you are in good company here on Acquiring Minds, but still a highly unusual and adventurous path to take, so we want to hear your story and what you're up to. Also, you're English, doing this in England, so many non-American listeners and American listeners alike are going to be curious and eager to hear how you finance your acquisition, your acquisitions, um, in an environment where you don't have the SBA, which is this great luxury that we have here in the States. So we will spend some time on that. Uh, but start us off, Sam, with your background and what it was that led you to want to go out and buy HVAC businesses. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Will. And thanks again for, for having me. So um, I actually started my career when I left school playing professional football, um, which is uh, soccer for you guys, but uh, mm -hmm. professional uh, football here in the UK. And I say that because um, I did that for a couple of years. I, I wasn't in the end good enough. And, uh, and that taught me sort of a lesson about, um, you know, I saw my, my friends doing well and I wanted to succeed at something. And I, I think it was a turning point in my life to be driven by something and really wanting to succeed. And um, I, I, I will say to people, it's, it's not that I have any more capability than anyone else in terms of the career. It's because I probably wanted it more than, uh, more than others uh, for probably that reason. So, so I, I left that. And I, I had a career within the tourism or travel industry uh, with some some pretty large uh, travel providers or travel players uh, here in Europe. Um, I qualified as an accountant, so I, I have that, uh, let's say, string to my bow, did various finance roles. I got to move to, to Spain, so I spent 10 years living in, in Spain, which was fantastic. Uh, a few months living in Singapore, which was also brilliant. And then the, the last four years uh, living in Switzerland, uh, which was fantastic. And I moved back here to the UK only, only 10, 11 months ago. Um, so I, I was responsible in the end for through a, a number of different roles, but um, FD, CFO roles of what was multi-billion uh, uh, dollar or euro uh, as we were based in, in Europe. Uh, businesses that were part of a listed business, but then it was sold to private equity um, for considerable uh, considerable sum. We then set about actually acquiring our two largest competitors and integrating three businesses at the same time, which is uh, which is a challenge, and that's that's taught me something about. Uh, what I want to do or what I don't want to do in terms of when it comes to the strategy for the uh, the group going forward. So I, I don't have any intention of integrating these businesses together, partly from my experience of uh, of what what uh, what happened, which was which was which was quite painful. But um, there there is sometimes value to be had, but uh, I think that you can also destroy a lot of value. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so through that process, we went from being a three billion euro company uh, in terms of sales to about six billion. We're combining the, the three businesses together. It's a pretty big business. 
Um, but it was through that integration process, really, that I, I decided that I didn't want to stay. I didn't want to spend the rest of my career uh, in the in the corporate world. And I, I think that was for probably three reasons. One, I was on a plane every week. So I was living in Switzerland. I had two young children. And being on a plane every week just became um, not where I wanted to spend my time, away from my, my family, my wife and uh, my, my, my kids. So um, you were you were living in Switzerland, but traveling out of Switzerland yes, or around yes. Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. So we, we had a global business. So we had offices all over the world. Uh, and I was responsible for the time, the sort of global commercial functions. And we had close to a couple of thousand people in those functions, but located literally in over 100 countries. And we had offices in, I don't know, something like 60 countries or something like that. So it was a, a fairly, um, uh, not tedious because it's great to travel, but when you do it for so long, and you have actually young ones at home, et cetera, it becomes, it becomes tedious, even though initially it's, it seemed to be uh, glamorous. So, yes, I was on, on a plane from Switzerland going to, to and from different uh, different places. One of the other sort of factors, so two other factors, one was the travel. One was the fact that I, there was actually a lot of politics in the organization. So there was a lot of um, pressure to obviously deliver results. Um, we had management consultants all over the place, um, which added to the sort of tension and uh, um, discussions with uh, manoeuvring and all this kind of kind of stuff. So we had effectively the, the, the McKinsey consultants, which are, you know, one of the large ones for the best part of two years with, with us. Um, uh, so the politics I didn't, I didn't uh, enjoy at all. And the, the last one was for me probably probably I didn't agree with the, with the with the direction of the business in terms of where it was going and I also felt like I didn't I wasn't able to make the decision so I was responsible for or accountable for a large chunk of the P&L of the sales and the margin of the P&L but I couldn't actually make sort of key decisions with regards to certain things that I wanted to do and I think that sort of culminated in for me a, a, a period where I really didn't enjoy uh, being in that um corporate culture and I I really sort of reflected hard on that and thought, you know, I, I need to, I need to do something else. And thankfully I, I agreed amicable terms to, to leave, which was, which was great. And I still, you know, have a lot of respect for the guys um, uh, leading that business and still keep in, in contact. I then took some time to think, reflect, which I'd never had in my career. Cause you're, you're always kind of running hundred miles an hour to get to the next leg on the, uh, on the corporate ladder, uh, so to speak. And I really took time, probably three to six months to step back and, and really think about what it was that I wanted to to do. What was my purpose in life? I, I sort of did a lot of reading, reflection, speaking to different people. Um, and I got some clarity on what it is that I wanted to do. Where, what did I want to achieve? What was my life about? And where did I want to spend my my time? Um, and, and it's through that period of time that I... Um, decided that I wanted to build a group of companies, but not just for the sake of the the financial uh, implications of of doing that, which is obviously part of it, but more because I wanted to create a platform for small businesses to uh, prosper and to be actually stronger as being part of that that platform. Um, I like working with small business. A lot of my clients effectively were small owner-managed uh, business. So despite we were a large um, corporate, we worked closely with, with small businesses, helping them grow. So I loved that aspect. 
I love um, I love growth and, and looking for ways to grow uh, businesses, and I love developing people and, and management teams, and and these are my probably my two passions. So it's developing the the growth in the business and the growth in, in the in the people involved in the business, and I just felt that this ticked all the my boxes in terms of flexibility you know working when i want to kind of work on my on my terms having control being able to make the decisions and spending time uh on where i'm investing my time on things that i actually like like doing when you spent those three or six months um doing the kind of introspection and figuring out how you wanted to spend your life i wanted to ask you what what the answer to that process was what what was this deep you know, what was going to be your why or how you wanted to spend this is the second big chapter of your career? Yeah. I mean, what, what I came up with is, is almost a purpose. Uh, and the, the purpose is around being able to influence, inspire and, and, and empower and help other people. That's kind of, okay. that's the underlying concept, but then I have a number of strands to, well, how, how does that look? Um, and, and it's the different sort of folk, different areas of my life, the most important things. And what, what does that look like in each of those boxes? And this fits within, it ticks a lot of those boxes in terms of where the, where this fits. So for example, I have, um, the boxes around, uh, um, health and fitness, which is, which is, I think critical and a fundamental, uh, aspect of for me being successful and you know if you if you if you're not focused on exercising and and whatever which I don't do enough but i i think you know i start to feel less productive etc so that that is a kind of a that that's one but family and friends in terms of being able to spend the time uh, with with them creating wealth and for me creating wealth is not about buying the next uh, yacht or lamborghini for me i have a very clear um ambition to help a number of people with with that wealth um in 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 a certain sort of place that's important to me um what 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 do you mean there sam you mean you have a a very specific project or or a recipient of this of this future wealth yeah so so i have uh um in in my own mind or not in my own mind it's clearly it's clearly written down i have it all documented in terms of uh, a targeted, let's say, number of people, and what I want to do with that in 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 certain in a particular country that's uh, important to me, and hmm. uh, that I spend a, a lot of time in, um, and therefore, you know, it's kind of almost like the numbers are worked out also in a way that says, well, I can help this many many people if I've got this amount of wealth built, um, if that makes sense. So it's, yeah, so so I guess wealth creation is important, but it's not important for me in the sense of having the latest stuff. Uh, or even for a legacy for my family, or in terms of handing it down, which I'm 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 not clear about. You know what's the right thing there or yeah. not in terms of kids, but more about you know for me it's very clear about you know can I can I influence and can I can I add and can I contribute significantly in the in the world and that's that's effectively what what I want to do. I want to share an update on the acquisition lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Dibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. 
Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, and he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. You know, it's so, it's funny because you're, you're um, I assume you, you had a great salary while you were running these divisions within a multi-billion, multi-billion pound company, um, excuse me, Euro company, I guess it was a European company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but your, th- this wealth creation that you're talking about is, is I, I guess tied to your latest endeavor, which we're st- still haven't started yet. We're going to get into, um, yeah. but you you're just talking about it very confidently. Like you, you just know you're gonna, you, you just kind of know you're gonna build wealth. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, like a foregone I, conclusion. <laughs> I, I think so. And I think uh, I even challenged myself to say, am I thinking big enough? Um, and I think, you know, that that's part of um, sort of a key aspect is spending time, obviously, in the right circles with the right people and getting inspired and con- continually challenging yourself to think to think big. And it's almost like that. For, for me, there's risk in, in, in what we do. And we'll talk about that in terms of, you know, some of the challenges in, in, involved in, in doing it. But I think my honest opinion is what I want to do and the wealth that will should come along with that is I don't see as terribly complex. Mm. Um, I, I don't see as, it, it, I mean, for me, it's relatively simple. It doesn't mean to say it's, 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 it's easy to do. It's, it's hard work, but it's not complicated to do. So I, I can yeah. understand very clearly A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and actually that gets delivered. And I am very clear on, well, let's deliver A, let's deliver B, let's deliver C. So yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be a foregone conclusion, but yeah, I feel I feel like that will happen there. And that's my 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 strong belief. Yeah. And and that belief or, or that or that um playbook, uh, and that kind of it's gonna be hard, but it's simple to, simple to follow as long as you stick to the plan. Um, is that specifically this? This um, this entrepreneurial venture that we're talking about, that basically you, the plan you're talking about, the playbook you're talking about, is buying HVAC business one and two and three and four. That yeah, they're I mean, one that, the, they're one and the same. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. So 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 what I have in terms of, well, I think it's important that that people don't talk about money very much, uh, especially here in the UK. Maybe it's, I think it's different in the U S I think you're a bit more, <laughs> more, more open with that. And yeah. I think people are a bit, a bit prudish here to talk about, like I have a target to create a, a net worth of X by Y date. And, and I have a very clear, and I don't mind to, to explain to people because for me, it's not, it's not about being boastful. It's about almost, creating accountability because if i tell my my wife and my friends or my family or whatever look this is what i want to do because that enables me to do this then then you know if i don't deliver that then i've already i've already communicated that to people so rather than just well let's hope for the best and see 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 where we get so for me that's just the way um the way i work i think this 
those numbers are then worked back to well, what do we need to deliver from a from a business case perspective in terms of this, and this will would get us pretty much to those numbers in in a in that kind of five year kind of timescale that we're that we're we're talking about. And are these these numbers these very specific numbers, both your goal and how you get there? Um, is that something you can share? Uh, not in this moment, but in a few minutes. Yeah, I'm happy to uh, happy awesome. to kind of give the give the high level um, around that. I mean, there's no sensitivity. It's my it's my it's my view of the world, and it's what 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 we want to to do. Um, you know, I've shared that with with investors clearly, um, because I wanted them to come on board with the journey. Um, I've shared it with lenders, and maybe maybe I shouldn't have shared that with lenders. Maybe I should have shared more conservative view with lenders. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll learn from those mistakes. But uh, but yeah, I'm happy to to go into some detail. Right. Well, and it's it's going to be a you know largely American audience here, so nobody's going to blush uh, when we start talking big numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so the okay, so um, the actual it was so you talked about the, those three or six months, uh, the process that you went through to arrive at uh, to arrive at this plan, how this this plan and this idea of uh, of acquiring businesses was going to really um, hit in that sweet spot of where your skill set lies. Um, uh, yeah, but the, the the very concept of buying small businesses is is um you know it's not in the air here, and I and I think it's probably even less in the air in the UK at least according to what you told me on our pre call. So so that is an as a concept was that um where where did you get the idea? I mean you were probably evaluating other things too, like maybe starting a business from scratch. I don't know. So so the actual specific idea of buying small businesses was that your idea? Was it somebody else's? Did you read a book? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so it's a good point. I think you're right. It's, it's it's even less so in the UK. I was in Switzerland at the time, but clearly my net, most of my network, right? Say most of my network. I have network around the world, but most of my friends and and people I talk to would be in the UK, so that would be most familiar. And it's not that common, I would say. You're you're right, and, and less so in the UK. So I I spent a lot of time researching around things, um, and I, and I was quite big into, at one point, wanting to do property. Investing, we have some um, some some property uh, investments, um, and it was through the process of looking and researching in the property space that I uncovered some content around buying businesses. Mm-hmm. And there was several people that were providing content, so I actually consumed a lot of content um, from uh, you know fr- sort of free content, and then I signed up for a few courses uh, as well. Um, not just the one I signed up for two or three, uh, I think it was three different programs. And, and so invested in those programs to b- build my knowledge as, as, as much as possible. Um, so it was through there and, and it was through one of those programs that I got to meet other people as well. And, and we sort of created a bit of a, gr- a group together that met every week, um, a bit like an accountability group um, that I, Bizarrely, I'm also facilitating uh, one of those now uh, as a facilitator, and I had my first kickoff call today, so that was interesting, uh, good timing. Mm. But um, so we had this kind of accountability group on the back of doing this uh, training program, three or four days uh, of uh, training in terms of the, the te- more the technical aspects around um, how to how to acquire businesses, and. Uh, and therefore, a small number of us actually continued to meet together every week, talk about deals, and actually then created uh, the view that we w- we would go into some sort of partnership together by helping and supporting each other. So, so that's what we did. We set up a um, 
uh, I would call it a loose partnership, and I'll describe exactly how how it works. But we set up a partnership. Uh, we have a um, a, a, a brand, a, a website that is uh, Advantos Equity Partners, um, and what that what that is effectively is 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 there's five of us, two in the UK, one in one in Germany, one in Sweden, and one in Norway. So kind of European. We're also looking for a US-based uh, partner to to come on board. Um, and what we do is we bring deals uh, and opportunities respectively into that kind of forum and we agree together whether we will go forward individually, whether other people want to invest in that and come on board to do joint ventures, et cetera. So that's the kind of loose partnership framework that still means. So, for example, in the UK HVAC piece, I said, well, this is what I now want to do. Um, thankfully, you know, three of the other guys wanted to invest something into that so they are involved from an investment point of view and one of the others is is a non-executive director on the on the on the board effectively in terms of my my group so they're, they're all quite involved in 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 that and likewise the guys are doing some other deals in in mostly mostly software and technology based businesses to be honest because that's more their, their background um so we have kind of reciprocal investments in uh, in each other's businesses as well as you know, we we share ideas around you know raising capital or deal structures or or whatever. So that's that's that sort of that that's effectively how I sourced the kind of information about uh, about that and where where the idea came from. And that's how how I how I pursued it. Um, and at the that's time, real... go ahead. No, at the time I was I was still in Switzerland, so. Um, and at this point, we we weren't 100% clear where we were going to live because you know if things had gone the other way, we would have sold the, my former business. Maybe maybe I wouldn't have needed to do anything um, because we had investments in the in the company as well as part of the management team. But um, so we we weren't sure where we were going to live. So I didn't really act on that for some time until we knew that we were going to come back to the UK, and then I started really um, doing the search in the UK. But uh, but initially also I wasn't clear on 100% clear on on the sector that I wanted to to focus on, um, so I was a little bit scattergun uh, initially. Yeah. Um, well, I I want I want to get into how you how you chose the industry that you did, but first I'm just curious about courses, um, and I because I'm sure a lot of the audience will be as well because uh, they're probably looking at the the buffet of courses out there and wondering what they should take. Can you share which courses you took and? you know, what you, what you thought of them even? Yes. So, um, I'll sort of, I won't talk individually about what I think of each of them because probably that's maybe not, uh, not, not, not fair to sort of play one off versus the other, but I, I think I did, um, a course, uh, which is like a, like a membership group as well afterwards called the Harbor club. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. Jeremy Harbor. Um, I did yep. the, uh, Carl Allen uh, course, which is more into the details around leverage buyouts and how to do uh, LBOs. Um, and there's also a guy in the UK, which is probably maybe on the on the on the smaller business side, um, a guy called Jonathan J. Um, so I did I did some content and courses with those three. I think on the whole, in hindsight, I probably didn't need to do all three. But I think what 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 is useful as part of that is the contacts and the network that you get as part of that. 
Um, I mean, in the sense I've got, you know, partners effectively that I can, I, I meet with every week, we discuss stuff, I've got someone to talk to about deals, they're investing in my deals, you know, so you build a network, I think that's invaluable, because it can be a bit of a lonely, a lonely task, yeah, so that's, that's great, and, and obviously some of the content, I mean, for, for me, a lot of the content, when it comes to looking at how to structure, for me, then became quite natural, I'd done, I'd done, um, acquisitions in the past as part of my corporate role. So we'd, we'd, we'd acquired businesses. So I knew how the, the process was. I knew how to look at numbers and evaluate whether deals make sense or not and, and those sorts of things. So a lot of the, the content maybe is, is less relevant for, for me, but it depends on what, what, where everyone's at. But overall, so it, I think that there, 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 is, there is value, if not just because of becoming part of a network and, 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 and having access to people and contacts and, and skill sets and expertise that you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. And so even though your M&A experience from co- the corporate life, I, co- your corporate world, I assume the size of those deals was something else altogether. The things that you learned through those those deals carried through to these relatively tiny acquisitions that you were doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 th- I think the basic process... Um, the basic process in terms of the stages, you know, the, the, the heads of terms or LOI, you, you guys uh, would say, you know, the, the DD phase and, and the um, the different aspects of components of that in terms of financial, legal, uh, tax, commercial, almost people as well, if you want to, to well, you should do should do that. So they've got a various stages of the process, the the, the share purchase agreements and, you know, all the, that, I mean, that's the same, really, yeah. it's the same yeah. broadly process. And yeah. then how to, how to look at whether deals make sense or not from a valuation perspective and from a structure perspective, um, again, there's a lot of learnings uh, that you can take. The principles are the same. Obviously, what, what's very, very different is the way you source deals. It's completely different. Uh, the negotiation process and the the importance of actually building relationship, I think, is completely different um, because you're, you're typically dealing with with people that have never gone through the process before. If you're dealing directly with a, with a business owner that wants to sell, uh, or is prepared to sell, and, and through the through the conversation ends up doing that. It's a very different kettle of fish, or a very different, um, I would say, kettle of fish. But that's maybe an English term. A very different no, scenario. That works. <laughs> <laughs> very different scenario, obviously, than a, than a big corporate uh, transaction where it's yeah. it's ninety percent about the numbers and the the technical aspects. Yeah, um, the courses that you named. So so you you learn about buying a bit. First, you look at property real estate. As, as your path to build wealth. And then you learn about buying businesses and that just kind of intrigues you more. And that's also got the people aspect. Exactly. I think yeah. it, 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 I kind of had the, t- the two side by side and, and, you know, I like to do some of the analysis in a fairly structured way. So I probably, I probably had some kind of scoring mechanism as to what, what, uh, what <laughs> makes more sense based on yeah what, what sort of criteria. But I think the people aspect, you know, the people aspect is less relevant in, in property. I mean, property is... Yeah. Is great, but it's it's less um, less dynamic, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. it's probably le- less interesting. Let's be honest. And I think the upside potential is less, right? Yeah. Also, probably the risk is less. Uh, to, to be to be frank, I think the the risk and return in a small business acquisition perspective is much higher. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's a case of well, well, do you do you back yourself or don't you? And do you have the skills? And do you have the belief in what you can do? Um, together with a, with a team and, and, and the team that you build to, to make that a success. And I think there's a certain amount that you've got to back yourself. It's not just going to happen. 
Um, but I think, yeah, the people component was probably the, 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 the biggest element and being able to work and develop with people is, was super important to me. And then, so you take these, you learn about these courses, you take them. I hadn't heard of the, I'd heard of Harbor. Um, sorry, the gentleman's name is Jeremy Harbor. Yes. Jeremy? Yeah. Jeremy Harbor. And, and, and the, and the overall brand is called Harbor what? Harbor club. Harbor club. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that was early in my own, uh, foray into this world. Um, that, that came up a lot. I haven't heard much about it later. Um, Probably because that, that's kind of um, probably has more of an international clientele and, and orientation. Jeremy Harbour is himself British, but lives in Singapore or something like that. Do I have that right? He, he, yeah, he does. He's just yeah. moved to Dubai, actually. But uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. It, does, it is a very international um, uh, audience and community. So Yeah. 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 Um, and so here in the States, as, as often happens, we just have a kind of a more insular, we have, you know, the, the, the common names that are at an American audience and, and the Americans do those. Um, okay. So how do you arrive at, uh, the, 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 the specific plan? Why HVAC? And, um, yeah, so tell us why the HVA is HVAC industry. And then also tell us about the, um, the structure of what you're building and, and, and how that plan came together. Sure. So um, I think there was two strands to why I landed there. So for the first strand is you know, I talked to a number of businesses. I said initially it was quite a scattergun approach. So I, I got to speak with businesses in, in, in very different sectors. So you then get quickly to learn the you know the environments the sectors a little bit in a bit more detail the numbers in a bit more detail uh, the profiles in a bit more detail so actually where you think you can add more value in a bit more in more detail so I, I think t- typically what I found was there was there was an opportunity I think to um, to potentially add more value in in these types of uh, industries that I think typically are run by um by the engineers that have come up sort of through the ranks that you know they they they, they were on on the tools and now they've come through and they've kind of reached a, a plateau and you see that time and time again and i heard that in a lot of conversations um and i think then having the skills to kind of see how how we can grow the business i think in that concept in these types of businesses was was really interesting the second point was the criteria that i had so i had criteria around and I wanted to build a group, so it needed to be really a, a large industry, a fragmented industry, um, a re- fairly robust industry. So I didn't want to be in a space where, you know, Google or Amazon could come along tomorrow and and, and completely take your business away. Um, obviously, I'm not. At the same time, I'm not particularly tech savvy. So um, whilst I love what technology can do, I, I'm not very interested in being in the detail of a technology company. And I think. To be at the forefront of that, you, you constantly need to be on the forefront of that because things change so rapidly. So I think that was I wanted to steer clear of. Um, I wanted to have uh, businesses that were had some interesting, I would say, macro trends. Mm-hmm. And I think this the HVAC. If you think about what's happening with uh, the the climate, the whole climate agenda. Uh, the need to be efficient with energy use, the energy prices, uh, all of that, I think, is an, there's a, a strong underlying trend to having to have more efficient systems in mm-hmm. place. 
Um, and therefore, for me, I see that as a kind of an overarching macro opportunity or tailwind, if you like, in terms of that that space. You've got to be, you got to do it right, and you've got to put the jigsaw together correctly. But I think there's an opportunity there as well. And, and that's because also, you you perceive that HVAC technology will be evolving rather rapidly to keep up with more energy efficiency, and therefore there will be more spend on new systems, new equipment by consumers. Abs- and, yeah. Absolutely, I, I think yeah. the actual spend in the marketplace will be will be growing over time. So it might not be a 20% uh, year growth, but it will be a growing industry because of that macro trend, which is important. I also think there's going to be certain areas of the, of the, of, of the industry that will, will benefit more from, for example, government funding or incentives because you know, governments have a mandate to be, you know, whatever the, the carbon footprint impacts are, and for, exa- for example, here in the UK, you know, 95% of homes are fitted with a gas uh, boiler. Uh, so to heat your homes is, is gas. But for new homes, that needs to be, the government have already said, no new homes from 2025 can have a gas boiler. And that's a fundamental shift, for example. Yeah, yeah. Now, that, that's, that's one thing. But then what about the next thing will be we need to retrofit all existing homes with some more efficient energy because obviously new yeah. homes is only a portion. So there yeah. was going to be a lot of money that's coming in to sort of incentivize those things to happen. So how, how you put the piece of the jigsaw together to be at the forefront of that um, is, is part of the equation in part of the overall plan in terms of how, how we do that. So th- there's, there's some criteria there. I think the other the criteria financially is valuations because there is so much of fragmentation you've got this you've got this real pyramid that the the long tail of this pyramid is super super long there's like 38,000 businesses just in the UK HVAC industry um wow and obviously many of those are very small sure you, therefore you've got this whole huge long tail of businesses which means the valuations at that level in the long tail is super low and you've got then then it sort of go, goes up like that so there is a natural arbitrage because of that long tail in terms of um the pyramids there is a natural uh, multiple arbitrage opportunity by just putting companies together not even together but as part of the same group because you know multiple multiples increase as risk reduces and if you've got 10 businesses in a group even though they're not one business the risk is obviously less than buying one one business so Actually, um, let me let me um, dig into that a little bit, yep. Sam, because this was in our pre-call. We we talked about this, and it was something that, as I was reviewing our um, our notes, my notes of our call, um, yep. uh, caught my attention. So, yeah, my and maybe it's just um, my lack of sophistication, but my understanding of multiple arbitrage is that the reason that that arbitrage exists is because the entrepreneur has. Um, assemble these fragmented pieces into something that is is now more holistic and integrated. Um, so I, I thought the whole the whole reason for multiple arbitrage or the key you know one, one of the key reasons was that in fact these ten tiny companies are now one integrated entity earning ten times the revenue. Um, and so you've got you know and, and with that comes economies of scale and yes less risk as you said but just. Um, you know, kind of synergies and economies of scale. Um, 
but you clearly, you know, from from your from from your your bad experiences in corporate are you know are kind of anti-integration. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to overstate it, but clearly, like you've you've made this decision. You've now referred to it a couple of times that you're you're not huge on integration. It almost you know it was it was a really bad experience for you in corporate, and then now in your own in your own uh, endeavor here, you're not trying to integrate. So anyway, square that circle for me. Why uh, so, I you you don't need to integrate these companies to get to, to get the, to optimize your multiple arbitrage. Sure. So there's a couple of things. Firstly, I, I think, um, and just to be clear for anyone listening from my former I- I employer, it's not that I'm saying it was the wrong decision to integrate. It was a painful experience for sure, but the value proposition of those companies was almost identical and therefore actually integrating probably made sense in that, in that context. What, what I'm trying to do is buy businesses that are complementary. Uh, that have slightly different value propositions, and therefore it doesn't make sense to, you know, combine those into one hodgepodge of a, a company providing a hundred different services. There's no focus. There's no accountability. There's no, you know, that just for me that just wouldn't work. Not just because of the experience that I've gone through, but to answer your point around valuation, I think it's, it's an interesting discussion for me. I would put the valuation, the multiple, multiple. Um, when we talk about valuation, down to a number of things. The first, the first um, is risk. Yeah. So when risk is reduced, multiples increase, which is why obviously people love the recurring revenues. They love the you know very predictable numbers and 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 where there's a tailwind and uh, there's all less. There's a management team in place and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So risk is one factor. Now I think if you have a, a number of businesses in slightly different um, with a slightly different value proposition, servicing slightly different customer bases, et cetera. That's diversification. So number one, you definitely reduce risk by adding businesses despite you're not integrating. So you reduce the risk, multiple increases. Number two is demand. So on the demand side, if you look at the number of people that are operating in that in that pyramid, you've not got, you know, down in that long tail, you've not probably got enough buyers for sellers because there's just so many you know, thousands and thousands of businesses that probably most of them too small won't won't sell will will end up closing. Obviously, when you get north of probably uh, one two two million pounds uh, EBITDA, you then start to get interest from uh, institutional players, some small niche private equity, etc. So that increases the demand for yeah. for those businesses. So those yeah. two factors. You you will increase the the multiple as a result of those two things alone. The third the third point I think that impacts is clearly the growth potential in the business. So if you're buying a business that has been flat and has always been flat and will always be flat, you know the multiple will be one thing. If you're buying a business that's growing 10% a year and has done that for five years in a row, then the multiple is different because the payback is much quicker. So. I think that's where your question around, well, does that make sense to actually have more integration um, because then you can scale more quickly, you can do whatever? I don't know. I think the answer. So I think I think what we want to do is we want to focus on the platform. The concept is you take businesses, you put them on a platform, you give them uh, the ability to actually enhance their margins so their, their EBITDA margins by a number of benefits that we will look for as part of the acquisition. So we will look for 
is there cross-selling opportunities which naturally then can cross-sell into each other's customer base? That's a, that's a growth potential. Yeah. So that's a, getting the growth without actually put, putting together. Yeah. Are, yeah. There, are, there, are there buying opportunities because you're using some of the same suppliers and actually we'll, as a group, we can then look at how do we coordinate some of those activities? Yes. Um, is there expertise that can be leveraged across the group? So we've got, I just mentioned about the more sustainable technologies and, and, and that sort of thing. So my idea is we would have an expert or one or two expert companies in the group on different things that then could transfer that knowledge internally in, into the businesses in order to increase and enhance their ability to, to raise their, their, their performance further. So enhanced value we will create now, Valuation, as you know, is, is two principal things. is the multiple and it's the profit. So what I'm saying is, well, the multiple will naturally increase because of risk and uh, risk and uh, demand. Um, the growth is, I guess, arguable as to whether it's better to integrate or not. But certainly what we can do is in, in influence the EBITDA number as well by enhancing the margins of the, the businesses in the group. On top of that, I think I, think, um, I would say two things. One is, we're not saying that we will not take cost opportunities where it makes sense. So it may make sense over time to have one function that performs a service for other businesses in, in certain things. It's not to say that everything has to be individual. It's just not the priority. And it will only happen if actually each business agrees that that makes sense to do because they can get it for cheaper. They're incentivized by their P&L and therefore it makes sense. Everyone kind of wins. That's the philosophy that, uh, that I have. Um, and 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 the other thing is, um, from a from a value perspective, it's not like it's not like I have a definitive view that I would need. I you know I want to exit the business by 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 then. So yes, the wealth creation uh, aspect is part of it, but it may be that we continue to build this over time. We hold it for longer and we create something. I'm as much interested in creating a platform that is collaborative in nature. So people and, and the businesses can collaborate together. We create a framework to do that. And actually for me, that's, 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 I would love to stand back in five years time and say, we've got a group that's actually working like that. Mm. Um, and, and we've created value for each of those businesses, uh, each of the customers that they serve and each of the suppliers that they serve as well. And, and the stakeholders around them because of the platform that we put in place. So it's not all about the numbers, but for me, Obviously, the the numbers are part of it, but I think there's enough value in 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 what I've described. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a what a vision. That's great. Now, Sam, in the states, HVAC is um, it's almost. I mean, it's really hot right now. There's a lot of activity there. There are a lot of searchers looking to buy HVAC businesses. There's a lot of private equity looking to already active in HVAC. So it's 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 quite competitive. Um, it's it's of of the kind of of its cohort of kind of blue collar businesses. Uh, electrical um, plumbing that, that's kind of, yep. it's, it's kind of often in that same basket. Um, yep. It appear it appears to be the hottest uh, by far, actually. Um, so anyway, is it not, or, you know, was it, is it not super competitive to buy an HVAC business in the UK? Are, are there other um, people out there like you doing this or, or bigger, bigger outfits, private equity outfits doing this? So I think, um, I, I think it's not as hot as the, uh, as the U S one, just and I, I say that because, you know, of all the content that I listen to, consume, people talk to, etc. I, I hear that a lot in the US. I don't hear it so much. 
is not that there aren't people because part of my network, I know that there are people, other people in that space. But I come back to, well, it depends where you're looking, doesn't it? So if you're looking at maybe this, uh, the kind of sweet spot, which is here before you get into here <laughs> in yeah. terms of where the, where the pyramid is, um, I think that that, that is not, um, is not, is not a seller's market still. Um, and therefore the buyer still has some strong leverage in, in that scope because there is just isn't, you know, I think if you go past for me, if you go past a million, um, a million of, of EBIT or EBITDA, uh, it's probably where the demand is a little bit more and maybe the, 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 the value is, is, is starts to, starts to creep up. And therefore, it starts to become, you know, a, a little bit more expensive. But then, hence the multiple arbitrage piece that uh, yeah. we talked about before. So, so the three businesses that um, let's assume that we close the the one next next week. Um, fingers crossed. Um, the three <laughs> businesses will will be uh, will be about fifteen um, fifteen million uh, pounds in in revenue. And about one point, uh, about one point four, one point five million um, pounds in in EBITDA. Now, so that's an average of just just under half a million uh, pounds each in terms of EBITDA for the business. So, from a t- from a typical, I guess, searcher point of view, that's probably on the small side in terms of the individual um, business. And therefore, maybe you know, may, maybe at that one million plus, is you get you get you're going to get more of that. But I think that's at that level, there's not a huge amount of uh, demand given the number of businesses there are at that level. I'm sorry, at the smaller level. At the at smaller the, level. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, think, the, basically, I, I think the, the the sweet spot, I think, is is between half a million and a million of, of EBITDA, I think is the, is the sweet spot for, for me and what, what we would look at. I mean, I would look bigger. I typically won't look smaller now because um, I, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's just perhaps not worth the, um, what, not worth the effort um, because the process is largely the same. It's actually more difficult to finance smaller deals um, as, as you'll probably know. And therefore I think sub half a million, I think is becomes less, less interesting. Um, but if you went sub half a million, I mean, probably the value is is even is even is even cheaper. But in fact, your first acquisition was sub half a million. It was, uh, yeah. And, and yeah. We're, we're just about to get into that. The audience is saying, "Come on, get to the." Can we hear the story for for Pete's sake? Um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, I just want to comment that on your the sweet spot that you just described, half a million to a million in EBITDA. That's that's exactly what we what we say here. Maybe a little bit more than half a million, six seven hundred to a million is kind of the is kind of the sweet spot um, that people talk about here for a self funded searcher. Um, uh, okay, I thought there was something else on HVAC that I wanted to ask you about. Um, all right. Maybe not. It may or maybe they'll come to me. So let's get into the, your first acquisition. So you started, actually, <laughs> if you don't mind, Sam, tell people how old you are. Uh, 44. 44. Okay. And you set out on your acquisition, like started searching like officially, seriously in December? No, that was when you made the acquisition. Uh, that's when we made the acquisition. It took about four and a half months and it was probably, uh, you know, 
four months or so prior to that in terms of searching four or five months. So, um, yeah, so what is that? Six, four, four, uh, yeah, about uh, 15 months or so in 15, 16 months ago. That start. you started. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, th so about eight months of searching. Yeah. Search uh, plus the, plus the deal process right. before, before closing. Yeah. And about seven months, um, post completion. Yeah. Right. And so you acquired this first business in, in December, 2021. Um, yep. and so, okay. So now let's get into it. If you would share, um, share the size of the business, the, the EBITDA of the business, um, the terms of the deal, if you would, and then, um, yeah, and and well, I'll just say at the outset here. So, so I, I know that the, the EBITDA was about three hundred and fifty, and you, yeah. we we just heard you say that you wouldn't buy less than half a million um, now uh, in EBITDA. But but you know, I, just f looking ahead to our conversation, what I would say on that is like it did get you in the game, and I think that there's value a lot of value in that because now you've got two other acquisitions that have happened in short order. And now you're looking at if assuming this third deal closes, you're looking at one, you're at EBITDA 1.4 million. So in, in the content that you may have consumed and here in the States, there's often this debate for searchers about, you know, buy big or buy small, despite what I just said about the sweet spot being 750 to a million or 600 to a million. There are still yeah. those who say, just, just don't um, overplay that it, it, in some some people would argue it's more important to just get in the game um, because if nothing else, that, that that really unlocks deal flow often. So if you find a business doing four, 400 EBITDA, consider it. Um, there, there's value in just getting in the game. So with all that, please, please tell us about your first acquisition. Yeah, so, um, uh, and I'll, 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 I'd like to respond to that. So, so if, I, if yeah. I don't respond, then remind me on, the, on, those, on those points. So yeah. I actually, I actually found. So I was looking in in different places, talking to brokers, contacting businesses directly. This, 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 um, this lead actually came through a contact uh, on Search Funder, actually, the, on the ah. on the platform. So, yeah. so that's um, that was interesting because I was kind of registered there. Um, it wasn't registered um, with a, a broker, but with an accountant uh, who was the the company's uh, accountant. Um, the process, uh, so the business is 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 actually um, there's all the heating and plumbing uh, elements of new build residential homes. So when you get like large developments of hundred homes, two hundred homes, etc., so they're fairly large scale contracts. That's the kind of core of what the business does. It's kind of it's not a consumer based business. It's um, working for big large developers effectively. Yeah, um, and. Uh, the, the 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 conversation was um, you know quite reasonable I think in terms of expectations there was a little bit of back and forth around around where we ended up the business was about five million pounds turnover a business uh, about three fifty in terms of uh, EBITDA so it's probably average margins if not maybe a bit on the low side for for the industry but not far from average. Um, and we we agreed in the end. Uh, we had a couple of goes at the structure because the numbers changed halfway through, and we we, we renegotiated uh, a little bit of the deal, where I agreed to pay a little bit less if I paid a little bit more up front. Um, so, in the end, we we settled on a a multiple of uh, I think it was three exactly three um, x of the uh, the underlying 
uh, EBITDA that we sort of went through a process of understanding what the underlying uh, EBITDA was. So we 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 structured that in in a um, I think it was two thirds upfront and one third that was then deferred uh, over a three three year period, and that's typically the kind of structure three or four years uh, that we would look look to um, sort of annual equal installments in terms of those those numbers. The way the way we financed that is we had. As I said, I had some people that I was working with that were also investing a little bit. I also had some other contacts that were um, that I approached in terms of investment who who are willing to pledge also um, some capital for the next sort of two or three deals, which they have done in terms of where we've got to uh, for these three. Um, and so we put down, um, you know, an, an equity element. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was probably. Close to twenty percent of the of the uh, of the value in uh, in equity. Obviously, then there's some deferred, and the rest we we uh, we we got a cash flow lend from an alternative lender here in the UK. Um, and you you touched on it earlier. It's quite complicated to do that. You can typically have um, the asset based lenders, but in these types of businesses, there's not a lot of assets. Um, you, the only assets they have really is is the debtor book. I didn't really want to go down that path because you start messing around with with impacting customers and who the customers pay. And actually, it's quite expensive when you work it through. It's a little bit more complex. And so I, I opted for, I had a couple of options, but uh, I opted for, for a lender that was was willing to, to give a cash flow uh, lend. But the the term of those is nothing like what you get in the in the in the US. Uh, we dream uh, about those uh, those terms and those 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 deals. So you, you know you could, you're paying considerably more from an interest perspective, and the term is 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 over five years and it's amortised. It's typically um, one year capital repayment free, so interest only for one year, um, which gives you a little bit of breathing space and to build the the cash uh, number. And then the rest amortised uh, over the over the four years. Um, so that's that's what we did. And the agreement with that lender was also they were they were interested in the the buy and build approach and the the, the project plan. And 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 actually that particular acquisition was below the minimum threshold for them. So they they you know they actually sort of we had a we had a, a credit approved amount let's say of double what we used for the first business, but always with the intention of doing more. Um, Going going forward, so that's how we uh, that's how we financed the, um, the 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 first deal, and that's what the structure looked like. I would say the 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 other two deals are not dissimilar to that um, in terms of multiples, and therefore you know it, that for me at that kind of level, the half a million ish kind of level is you're looking at a probably a three x. Um, EBITDA number, and if you you know you'll typically have to put in. Um, not in all cases, there are more creative structures uh, I understand than people have done without you know putting it in equity at all. I just think it's much much harder to do, um, and uh, and also it's more risky. Obviously, you have more leverage in the in the business. So so that those that kind of t- that structure is kind of typical for the other two deals that we've got. So all on similar structures. Um, working with the with the same the same lender, although that's been um, a bit painful. The process is a bit painful, um, but uh, and yeah, hopefully we'll get the third one across the line next week. 
Sam, so a couple differences with what my audience, my American audience, might be used to hearing on the in terms of the deal, the on the terms of the deal, the seller note. One thing, so you said about a third, so a thirty-three percent seller note. Um, yeah. And where, whereas in the states, it's typically going to be five, ten, fifteen percent as more um, is more common. Maybe maybe twenty percent. Um, and so. The and then yeah of course of course as you said the amortization so with that shorter amortization schedule then your debt burden is going to be much heavier on the other on the other hand you're financing a, 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 a much less um, it's much less leverage so if there was if it was twenty percent equity thirty three percent to your seller notes so that's fifty three percent so roughly forty seven percent of the deals is coming from the bank so that's a that's a smaller sum um, so I guess that kind of cancels out the fact that you have a, a more aggressive amortization schedule and you end up with a debt burden that maybe is kind of similar to what a, a US searcher would experience, would you say? Um, well, well, you still got the challenge that you've got debt either way. So you've got debt either from a, from a seller note perspective or from a bank perspective. Well, so, right. You well, know, right. You, so right. so in, rea- in reality, what it does do is it makes the numbers tighter, obviously with, with a 10-year with a amortization and, and an interest that, uh, you know, four or five percent or whatever it is that you you, uh, you guys will have access to that makes it far easier to meet the the debt service cover ratios, which effectively is the, the key ratios that the, the lenders will look at. It makes it far easier. Not only it makes it far easier, it gives you more flexibility about the price that you pay. Now, I'm not saying that you want to pay more, but for example, it just simply doesn't work to pay uh, more than... So even if we had a, a great business that was a million EBITDA, that had everything right with it, um, and it was clearly worth more than you know 3x, you probably couldn't pay more than you know, 4x because the numbers just simply wouldn't wouldn't work from a from a debt coverage perspective. Um, now clearly that's when you know the private equity guys and 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 trade buyers etc are more interested in in that and they can afford to pay a bit more and therefore maybe you get a bit priced out at, at that at that level because it just simply doesn't work so um so yeah i mean it is it's a tighter it's a tighter uh, remit to to work with to make those uh, to make those numbers work and and, yeah. and there are you know the 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 lenders in the uk so really i think it's a disappointing um, set of alternatives and options for for people uh, in the UK, and I think you know the government should here should should look at look at that because I think as a result of that, I think we'll end up having a lot of businesses that just have got nowhere to go um, because yeah. there's just not enough options to do. And one of the reasons, and coming back to one of the points you said about buy big or small, yeah, I, I think is a great it's a, and you, it's a great point. It's a great question. Is yeah. Actually, I don't mind buying a slightly smaller for the first one because it's the first one. And actually, I want to do two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten, etc. So really, it doesn't doesn't matter so much. And you're absolutely right. It gets you in the door, gets you in the game, and things become infinitely easier as a result. Both lending conversations, investor conversations, conversations with sellers because you're credible you've got a business in this space just changes the dynamic so you're absolutely right on the flip side if you were if this was going to be your only business then maybe i would hold out for a bit for for a bigger business if that if that makes sense because the process is still the the, the same and it's obviously going to take you longer to grow and 
the other thing is it typically is more difficult to finance. So actually I'm surprised in the end that I managed to get that one through um, because, and I now I see that the debt market's tightening a little bit given where inflation is going and, and, and everything else and the risk appetite is reducing. I, I think getting anything done that's sub sort of 400,000 EBITDA is, is, is more challenging um, from a lender perspective. They just don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sam, give us, um, just for other English, list, British listeners, um, and maybe Europe, European listeners who, again, non-SBA buyers, um, a bit a bit of the lay of the land. So as I as I recall, there weren't many lenders like you that, that you could find that understood the buy and bill model um, in the UK. So just finding finding somebody. Yes, you found a bank to do it, but like it was hard. First of all, do you want to give your your um, that bank a shout out just because maybe save some people save seriously save some people some time. Like if if it took you looking under a lot of rocks. Well, let, let's let, let what I would say is. Um, Contact people, you. People, people <laughs> contact me because ordinarily I would say yes, but uh, the experience over the recent weeks has not been uh, ah, not gotcha. been what, what, <laughs> what, what I what I would have expected and hoped, and therefore I don't want to plug something that for me at the moment is not uh, not perfect. Uh, yeah. Albeit I was very happy with the first process. I think I think the, the the challenge now, as I said, is in recent weeks the inflation's gone through the roof. Our first business has had. Some, imp- some implications of that because of the nature of the business model it had a lot of fixed price contracts with its customers. Therefore, margins have been squeezed. It's still profitable, but it's not profitable where we wanted it to be. So, uh, you know, we've explained all of that and it's kind of understood, but that's put some more uh, concern, let's say, behind um, future deals, even though we're, we're changing the, the, the focus on the business model a little bit to be less risky from that perspective. I think the risk appetite is, is reduced. We were also moving between one fund and another fund in terms of where the money was coming from, that gave some complications. So there's a whole host of um, external uh, circumstances that meant actually the process has been far more painful this time. Mm. Um, but I, I would say, yeah, if anyone wants to contact me, I'm, I'm happy to kind of then talk them through that. And uh, But uh, but I, I think it's probably not appropriate for me at the moment to kind of plug sure. something that <laughs> I'm still waiting for uh, the, final, uh, the final outcome of. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, the one of the other things that struck strikes me about this this first business that you acquired is that um, it's new construction versus maintenance. So one of the things here that is often talked about in in these types of business home services businesses um, or businesses like where they deal with the hardware of the home is is it construction uh, and and obviously maintenance is what you kind of what you want because there's it might not be recurring but it's reoccurring and so on. So. Um, is you you you're nodding your head. Obviously, you under you understood that dichotomy, but you still went for new construction. So, like more of the revenue comes from new construction. Was yeah. there any? Did you need to get comfortable with that? Did you need to get your lender comfortable with that? Was that a question? Did you tell yourself, well, you know, this is only my first acquisition, so subsequent acquisitions, I'll be more focused on getting a maintenance, uh, yeah. a maintenance heavy business sort of thing. What what was your thought there? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great great question. I think a um, couple of things. Firstly. I knew that this was my first and it wasn't going to be my only. So when it comes to looking at the entire portfolio, you're going to have a, a, a bigger, more sort of recurring um, contractual maintenance or maintenance uh, com- components. Um, secondly, what this business had um, for the good and now actually almost then it's kind of 
come back to bite me to a certain extent is it had some certainty of revenue because the contracts they had, you know, most of them spanned the next 12, 18 months. Mm. So, you know, we could predict quite easily that the next 12 months, 18 months revenue we've already got. We've got a contract for that. So there's very little risk in delivering the next 12, 18 months, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so that was, that was, that got me comfortable um, and everyone comfortable that, you know, you had a good pipeline of business that was already committed and you've got a bunch of tenders that are out there as well. So, you know, we feel quite comfortable with that. The issue is the way that it works in new build construction is typically you're looking at, uh, you know, having to fix the prices that you, you give, which is fine in a normal environment. And over the last 10 years, hasn't really been an issue. <laughs> the issue is literally the last 15 months have seen inflation go through the roof on, on materials, especially, which has, has meant that we've had to kind of pedal quite quickly to, um, to renegotiate some of those contracts and, and to make sure we're doing everything from a supplier based point of view and, and those sorts of things. So, that's that, but that's why I got comfortable because we had predictability of revenue at least for a window in advance, and secondly, that I knew that yes, we could also build out as part of the group the maintenance com- component. What we also want to do with this first business is actually grow the consumer side of the business, which is a lot more maintenance uh, uh, right. driven because it has the infrastructure to build off. It's about five, six, seven percent of the business today. And we believe that that can be 25% of the business in, in, in a few years. So that, again, will naturally de-risk. And the other point is, obviously, the, the price that you pay is dependent. If you've got a business that is, um, you know, is, is 100% maintenance, that's got, you know, recurring or reoccurring revenue, then the price tag is going to be probably a little bit higher. Yeah, sure. Great. Thank you for that. We are, uh, we're, we're going a little long here, Sam, but I have a few more important questions I want to ask yep. you. Um, one is uh, circling back to your, um, the overall structure of what you're building. Um, you are not an owner operator. You're assembling these businesses. And, and so are, are, the, st- are the sellers, uh, who I presume are oftentimes the founders, are they staying in the business as general managers? And you're, yeah. So what's that look like? No, it's a it's a combination, but again, it's another sort of great point. I mean, these are these are these are the kind of crux questions, right? So, um, in two of the businesses, the owner will leave, and the the number two in, that's kind of the natural number two in those businesses will will step up, and in the first case has already stepped up uh, to be MD. In the other case, um, which is the one we closed last week, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the owner is staying. So it just wants it wanted to be in an environment where could help him scale the business and grow the business uh, going forward. As part of that deal, obviously part of the future component or the the deferred component we have as as an earnout, so performance based. In in the in the other two, we don't. Uh, if the seller is is leaving, so there's that kind of difference, I guess, nuance. But yeah, what we look for is either one of those two options. Either there's a very clear number two that actually naturally can step up, um, or that the 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 the, uh, the the seller is um, is wanting to continue in the business and wants to maybe play a bigger role in the, in the group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the cases where the number two is going to step up, is that negotiated and agreed upon before the transaction occurs? I mean, do you because because you 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 Sam have to get comfortable with that number two yourself as part of your due diligence. Um, you know, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's it's a, it's a trick. It's a really tricky one because 
in the first case, obviously, from a seller point of view, they're in a tricky situation as well because they they can't bring other people on board because if the deal doesn't happen, then, you know, that puts them, you know, jeopardizes their own position and contradicts, you know, the, the, their own sort of um, uh, authority, if you like, because people then understand that they're going to, to want to wanting to sell. So it's a very difficult balance. And in, in that case, we left it very late to get that uh, contact with the number two. Um, so we took a bit of a risk there, to be honest. And yeah. uh, we got, obviously we got the CV, we got the background and, and, but yeah, it was two weeks before the deal completed that we actually got to speak to to the to the number two. So that was a bit. But it, t- it turns out for, for me, I, th- I think um, there's a great opportunity with him to and to develop him as well. And, and uh, I think he's doing a great job stepping up. So so that's that's worked out well. In the other business where the number two is stepping up, the the owner brought him on into the picture quite early in the process. And therefore, we've we've met, we've discussed, we've kind of talked. You know, we've, we've been able to have that uh, dialogue through the through the process. Yeah, I mean, I imagine for these number twos, it's really big news. I mean, a common theme with in this world is that the team that you're acquiring, just the change in ownership, it can feel very disruptive and um, and unsettling to the larger team. Just the change in ownership, but for yeah. these number twos. They're 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 not only getting a new boss, they're getting the promotion of their lives <laughs> all yeah. at once. Yeah. Um, and, no, and, and you worry and you worry that a number two might say, "Look, I don't want to." You know, they might just say, "Thank you, no, I, I just don't want to be. I don't yeah. want that level of responsibility, even though it represents progress in my career." Yeah, and and I think it's really a critical one to to navigate carefully that that aspect, and I think when we start to build out the group a little bit more. So for example, I'm in the process now of recruiting a CFO from a group perspective, because it, it just makes sense with now three looking at more to actually have that. But part of their role will be to go and, and spend time with each of the businesses, helping them um, to improve the way they govern the, the, the business, the information they have in the business, et cetera. So it's to kind of help, help bring up and also going forward, we'll have, you know, maybe one or two other roles at a group level that can really be supporting the businesses. But at the moment, yeah, for me, for example, big part of my emphasis will be really supporting those people. Now, I'm not an industry expert, so they've got the expertise typically when it comes to the industry. But actually, they're stepping up from a more junior role to a more senior role, which has implications, right? So I think to be really close to them through that process, we're looking at how we can build a program around um uh developing the the mds and and all be them have sort of some external uh development and coaching etc as running running the the businesses we're also looking to implement um probably a, an operating system so we will work on the same basis uh in terms of uh, i don't know if you've heard of the um whether we choose this or not is to be seen but the eos system uh, the, sure. so so that that is something that we're looking at closely and, and probably will go with, I think, which will be really helpful because we'll probably have some facilitation with that. So it'll be helpful for those guys also to give them the framework to to help them to, to manage because typically, you know, the frameworks in this business around, you know, even having a very clear strategy to how you manage performance just isn't really there, you know, and uh, how do we know whether we're doing a good job each week? You know, it's, it's very... 
um, through feeling versus any kind of data metrics, who's accountable for what, all these things that can, I think, be um, developed. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of careful support and, and, and development and investment in those people, I think, is, is required um, and, and not, not to be underestimated. And I think that's probably something I did underestimate um, and something that now we're trying to make sure that we're focusing on providing that support. Well, although on the other hand, one of the big boxes you wanted to check with this whole this whole pivot in your career was to develop people, yep. and so and, and so I guess since you're insulated from the teams because you're sitting, you know, at corporate, if you will, above, really, really the end of the only individuals that you'll interact with directly on any sort of regular basis will be these, will be the. Um, what did you call them? The MDs, or what we would call them here, the general managers, um, and um, and so those are the people that Sam is going to be developing. That's scratching that itch of you wanting to develop people. Yes, but but also I think there's, for example, the the, the typically the finance managers, uh, the people managing that function in a business. Because I'm naturally that way, I spend tend to spend a lot of time with them as well already. So helping helping them as well. So. I would say it was not just the general manager, so we'll be a little bit more involved. And and I'll sit in the man- management uh, management meetings every week with the with with the general manager and his team. Oh, um, so you know I'll, I'll be I'll be a little bit involved in 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 helping them through more through transition as we kind of set set the new kind of structure frameworks and stuff in place and. Because obviously the first business has had some challenges from a margin erosion perspective. It's then being called me to sort of be more more involved. I would say week to week, uh, operationally to support what do we need to do to to turn to turn the corner and actually uh, deliver deliver the right um, set of actions to this. So um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a hybrid at the moment. I think going forward it will be uh, more general manager only. But at the moment it 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 will be a little bit more hands on. So I, I will be at the moment, for example probably one day a week in each business, the, the three businesses yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the, for the coming, you know, couple of months at least whilst also looking for the next ones. So these businesses then are all um, geographically close to you. Uh, yeah. All within uh, an hour and a half, uh, hour and 45 minutes, something like that. And, and where do you live? Uh, just North of London. Okay. So, um, w- one question um then we're going to wrap up here about the culture, cultural fit between somebody buying a business and a blue collar business and then and then the team that operates at that business. Oftentimes it's kind of a, a white collar person, you know, somebody from with a yep. financial or corporate background buying um, a blue collar business. And there can be there can be, you know, a difference of culture there, to, to say the least, um, you know. The UK. I mean, I've heard I've heard English people themselves say this isn't my American stereotyping um, the Brits, but I've I've heard English people themselves say that the you know kind of class still plays a a, a greater role uh, in the UK than than maybe other places. So it's it, like that th- those strata are more felt among people than um, than in other places. Um, Correct me if that stereotype is totally off, uh, but um, so that would just kind of make more pronounced the difference between white and blue collar folks. Anything you want to anything you want to say to all that? I, I, is there I anything think, to I, say? I, well, I, I think it's a point to be. It's another point in terms of for me the difference between actually somebody and no disrespect to somebody that's that's you know come out of uh, business school, done their MBA, um, read all, got all the theory. 
um, got all the PowerPoint decks ready to go. Um, the difference between somebody like that and somebody perhaps like me who's had um, you know years of experience of, of leading, managing large teams, of actually going to the ground, being on the ground with people and actually being able to span that difference, like I said to you before, is yes, I understand the corporate stuff and what what needs to happen, big picture and you know all all, all of that. But I'm also humble enough to actually roll my sleeves up and say, right, how the, how the hell do we get out of this and actually mm. be on be on the front line? And I think, you know, that for me would be a watch out because I, I see even my even my, my corporate life, I see people coming in fresh, think they know everything, and it's like you have no effing clue you know, <laughs> how the reality works. I mean, you you just don't. And I, I think sometimes you have to have the experience to know and have also have the credibility. So if people know that you've done X, Y, and Z, you're so much more credible. And I, th- I think there is a big watch out, I would say, for for people. And, uh, 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 and coming in from that, you know, not a lot of experience, going into that blue-collar environment or any environment, really, in terms of managing, leading p- people, teams, P&Ls, the reality is, is, is not all, you know, is not all roses and you know it's 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 tough sometimes it's difficult sometimes you know the powerpoint goes out the window it's about actually dealing with local emotions uh, with people which is very you know small businesses is can be quite rife and and it's very different to corporate culture in in that regard and you have to be quite careful about you know what you say and how you say it and and all, all those things and 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 the emphasis on you know just team and 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 bringing people on the same page is is really, really important. And that's not, I don't think that's taught to you necessarily at, at business school and, and, and doing that stuff. And I, I think there's a big watch out. And I, I would be hesitant for somebody to come in that hasn't got real life experience and say, there you go, drop you into that. I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done. Clearly it has been done time and time again. But for me, I would just imagine it in one of the businesses that we have and the pushback would be enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, I guess it's a, it's a watch out for people and, and try and be humble, try and be on the same page, try and understand, try not to impose. We need to do this from day one, at least in my mind, you know, the first weeks are around learning and understanding and, yeah. and not about, right, you're doing this wrong and that wrong. I mean, it's like, yeah, you probably can see they're doing this wrong and that wrong, but you have to bite your tongue. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so is, is that experience I think is, is, is really important. And I think, giving that some, some, some really intentional thoughts. If you are in that camp of not a lot of experience going into it to own a business, place an emphasis on that and get some support on that, I would say. Yeah. 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 I mean, at least two of my guests have said six months that they, they won't touch anything. They won't make any recommendation, just six months, they're students. Um, and yeah. Uh, and and one of the other points I'll just make here that my guests have made, and I'm just repeating, is is that often when you see something in a business that you've acquired that you think is wrong, you learn maybe two months later. Oh, that's why it was done that way. There was a re there was a method to the madness. Good thing I didn't try to correct it because I would have been wrong to try to correct it because it wasn't correct. I was I was my interpretation was incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think in six months is is. Depends on the circumstance. I mean, sometimes sure. maybe you, you can do it much quicker than that, but uh, give yourself some time, I think is the, is the point. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, last question. I want to circle back all the way back to what you, what we talked about in your own plan to build wealth for yourself. Um, and like you, you know, and you, you have a certain number, you know, that, you know, X number equals helping Y people. Um, so can you add some more color to that and, and, and numbers behind that? 
and we'll and we'll close out with this. Yeah. So, um, so, so what what I want to have from this venture is is uh, is, is a twenty million pounds. Um, I love it. Uh, uh, twenty million pounds uh, exit, and I say exit, but more exit that's for me. So, in terms of now, I have investors involved, so I don't have a hundred percent of the equity. I have the majority of the equity. But the way that plays out is to build the group to about 60 million um, in revenue. This is pounds, 60 million revenue, and uh, and about 10% EBITDA margin to so 6 million, and selling it um, just under six is the business case. I think we've got um, to five, 5.7 or something like that in terms of multiple. You know, we're buying at three, three and a half is what the business case suggests. So that, you know, plus the fact that you've got. And then um, the investors, obviously, to get the return um, that, the, that we promised, plus whatever debts left over, et cetera, would get you to the 20 in terms of the, the exit. So that's that's what we're trying to 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 aim for. And that is within five years. I, I recognize that maybe it, it, you know, that's that's not super specific, but is that at least a, a rough it, a rough timeline? Yeah, the business plan and uh, the business plan is 26. Yeah, so it's actually that's four years from 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 now effectively. So um, we, we were supposed to be at um, 22 million, for example, at the end of this this calendar year, December. So that means one or two more businesses uh, this year. So it's very sort of clearly stepped up. So the next two years really focus on acquisition, and then a year or two, 18 months of really sort of bedding down and actually helping, you know, develop all of those benefits across the group that we talked about earlier. And really, I mean, you you can you can do such an accelerated um, acquisition plan because you're not doing much in these businesses. I mean, yeah, you're trying to improve them uh, and, and many of the things we that we talked about, but but you're not um, because there's not this big integration process that's happening with all of these. Like you buy them and you just let them continue on with the, with you know with the improvements that you put in place and the learning and the education, all that good stuff. But there's not. They're not really disruptive. They can kind of these acquisitions being acquired for these businesses is not really that disruptive. They can continue on their merry way. It's it's incremental, isn't it? So it's incremental. So yes, we're going to do. We're going to sort of provide a, a an operating system, whether it's a EOS or, or something that helps businesses yeah. on the same page, create a vision, create a clear scorecard, create a clear accountability charts, create clear governance and frequency, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. That's just good management in terms of a small small business. Um, yes, we're going to help in terms of the collaboration across the group and how 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 we put that together. Yes, we're going to help in terms of some of the strategic skills, financial skills that we'll have at the group level. Um, and yes, there might be some savings that we can do along the way in terms of operating things once in, on behalf of the group. But apart from that, the core of the business will be borne out to, depending on the strategy that we develop together uh, with with the MDs or the general managers of the business. And it will be like you say, it will be more a little bit more incremental as opposed to transformative in terms of each individual business. Yeah. The $20 million number, how did you arrive at that number? Why is that your goal? <laughs> it's pounds, not dollars, although there's not Sorry, uh, right, so, so right. much uh, not so much uh, difference these days. Yeah. Um, 20 million pounds. Um I, I it's uh it, it, it I, I mean, I've got some calculations behind, but I, I, I think it, it, it stemmed from the amounts that the, fr- the the quickness of the amount that I want to deploy into into these vehicles around um, uh, you know, philanthropic uh, uh, elements, uh, alongside the amount that I would still need to 
you know, create or have some wealth um, for to, to to live in and and whatever whatever else. So I've got some calculations around that and 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 what I think we can we can do with that. Now, that listen, that might that might change, right? We might we might decide that this is going so well and we 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 we're, we're thinking too small and and we should be looking at bigger and we should be looking at this and and maybe maybe that changes. But that for me is is probably a, a year old now in terms of that that set of numbers. Great. Thank you for sharing this. I love the transparency. And Sam, do you, are, um, um, this is a leading question. Do you mm-hmm. wish you had done started doing this 10 years ago? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. I, although I would say probably not before 10 years ago. So um, maybe, maybe, maybe five years ago would have been optimal. And the reason I say that is because the experience for me in traveling around the world in all the different experiences, regardless of the fact that I didn't enjoy the last few years, the experience and, and what I learned from, from all, all of that, um, I think was invaluable. Uh, and yeah. I think the, 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 just the traveling aspect, when you think back about all the places I've managed to be and spend time with and see, and you know, is, is phenomenal. And I, I wouldn't yeah. take that back. So may, maybe a few years earlier, because I think then we could have, you know, done, done even, uh, even more, um, but I, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disregard the value that I've had in, and, and, and I'm very thankful for that in terms of the career that I've had as well. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like a phenomenal experience to have, um, have had such a global experience for those years. Yeah. Sam, what a, what a conversation. Thank you. Uh, this was great. Uh, really cool to hear, um, from somebody across the pond do, doing things <laughs> slightly differently and uh, but but many things are the same and um, yeah just a, just a really um, refreshing and cool uh, to hear what, okay. what you're doing great great to be on and, and thanks for having me well thank you yeah great well we'll have to have you back and see how the progress is going thanks Sam good stuff thank you